Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamun akmalani al-atamman Ala sayyidina wa nabiyina wa habibina Wa shafi'ina wa qurrati a'yunina wa tatibi qulubina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin Amma ba'd a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim والسابقون الأولون من المهاجرين والأنصار والذين اتبعوهم بإحسان رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه وأعد لهم جنات تجري تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا ذلك الفوز العظيم وقال تعالى إن الذين آمنوا والذين هاجروا وجاهدوا في سبيل الله أولئك يرجون رحمة الله والله غفور رحيم صدق الله العظيم وقال النبي عليه أفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم المهاجر من هجر ما نهى الله عنه أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام The greatest and most important trip and journey in the history of humanity was the trip and journey of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم from مكة to مدينة the Hijrah was undoubtedly a monumental event that not only changed the course of Islamic history, but it left a lasting effect in the Arab Peninsula and in the entire world. And due to the importance and immense effect of the Hijrah, the migration of Rasulullah and his companions from Makkah to Medina signifies the beginning of the Islamic calendar. Because the Hijrah was the turning point in Islamic history. And the Hijrah, the migration from Makkah to Medina, signified and marked the transition of Muslims being a small group of believers worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in secrecy and in fear into becoming a established and strong nation. And it also signified the transition of Muslims being in a position of weakness to a position of strength and power. It also signified the transformation of Islam from being just acts of worship to a complete comprehensive way of life, encompassing everything from politics to economics and social interactions. That is why the Hijrah of Rasulullah from Makkah to Medina was decided as the beginning of the Islamic calendar by Umar radiallahu anhu during his Khilafah after making mashwara with his advisors. And the seerah and the life of Rasulullah is like a vast, endless ocean with many beautiful pearls in it. 
And every aspect of Rasulullah life contains countless lessons for us. And the hijrah of Rasulullah is no different. If a person has to enumerate the amount of lessons that have been deduced by the scholars uh, from the hijrah of Rasulullah they are countless. Uh, Shaykh Mustafa al-Sibai rahimahullah in his book As-Siratul Nabawiyyah Durusun Wa'ibar enumerates at least 20 or 18 to 20 lessons that can be derived from the hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Shaykh Salabi in his book As-Siratul Nabawiyyah Ardu Waqa'i' wa Tahlilu Ahdaf enumerates more than 20 lessons that can be learned from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So it is my intention uh, now to highlight just a few lessons. Tawakkulan ala Allah. I will just highlight a few lessons, whatever I can remember from the two books that I, uh, that I studied. وَمَا تَوْفِيقِ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ so, one of the first lessons that we learn from the hijrah of Rasulullah is the importance of planning and adopting all possible means to achieve one's goal. So, tadbir, planning and adopting means is from the sunnah of Rasulullah La aqlaka tadbir, aw kama qala alayhi salatu wasalam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, uh, there is no intelligence greater than planning. The greatest sign of intelligence is to plan before doing something. So if we study the hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we'll see that he adopted all possible means to achieve his goal in reaching Medina safely without being captured by the enemies of Islam. So if we study the hijrah from the beginning, we see that Rasulullah made Ali anhu sleep in his bed. And the purpose of this was to deceive the mushrikeen into thinking that Rasulullah was asleep. So they were waiting outside the house of Rasulullah and as soon as Rasulullah would wake up and come out of the house, they would at once attack Rasulullah so that the blood money cannot be put on one person and it can be distributed amongst all of the people who participated in the killing of Rasulullah so they were deceived into thinking that Rasulullah was sleeping. And in the meantime, Rasulullah he snuck out of the house. And Rasulullah also gave all of the wealth of the mushrikeen that was entrusted to him by the mushrikeen themselves to give back to the mushrikeen. So from this we learn the high amount of trustworthiness and honesty and reliability in Rasulullah that even his enemies entrusted 
their wealth with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. وَالْفَضْلُ مَا شَهِدَتْ بِهِ الْأَعْدَاءُ The poet says that if you want to gauge the virtue and highness and loftiness of a person, then see what his enemies say about him. So a true virtuous person is that person whose virtue and perfection is also acknowledged by his enemies. So despite being in the process of plotting, to kill Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they had so much trust and respect for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that they entrusted their wealth as amana to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And on the other hand, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, if he wanted, he could have taken all of their wealth when he migrated to Medina as an act of revenge. But Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a man who kept his promise and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a man of integrity that is why he gave all of their wealth to Ali radiallahu anhu and he instructed him to give back all of their wealth sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in this we also see the immense amount of love that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam or the immense amount of love that Ali radiallahu anhu had for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in that he was ready to sacrifice his life and put his life in danger so that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam could reach Medina safely. And at that time Ali radiallahu anhu was just a young boy. So this is the first precaution that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam took. The second precaution was when <coughs> when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam went to Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu's house, he uh, hid his head and majority of his face so that he cannot be recognized by the spies that were sent by the leaders of the Quraysh to attack Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Another precaution that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam took was that when he, when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu opened the door for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he talked to him in privacy. And he told him that if you have anyone in your house, uh, tell them to uh, go to another room. And he expressed only his intention to migrate to Medina and he did not mention the direction or the route that he will take to Medina, even to Abu Bakr radiallahu And another precaution that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam took was he traveled to Medina via a route that was not common and unknown to majority of the Arabs. So that is why in this regard he took assistance from a person who had knowledge and expertise regarding the unknown roads and pathways to Medina. And he hired uh, Abdullah bin Urayqit as his guide, although he was a mushrik, he was not a, he was not a Muslim. So this proves that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam did not hesitate in taking assistance 
from someone who had knowledge and expertise in a certain area of knowledge and Rasulullah did not look at the faith of that person. From this we learn that it is permissible to take benefit and assistance from disbelievers in dunyawi matters if they have expertise in that knowledge and they can be trusted. So because Abdullah bin Urayqid, despite being a mushrik, because he was an expert uh, uh, regarding uh, the, the, the roads and the, uh, and the unknown roads that lead to Medina, and he was to be trusted, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam made him his guide in his hijrah. So from all of this, we learn that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam planned his hijrah well in advance. And from this we learn that to adopt means and planning is not against tawakkul. Rather, the mashayikh say that the perfection of tawakkul is in adopting means and then leaving the natija and result to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if a person, he discards the means and he ex expects to see the natija and the results from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then some mashayikh say that yukhafu alayhi al-kufr, there is fear of disbelief regarding such an individual because he is indirectly challenging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, that is why Mulana Jalaluddin Rumi rahimahullah in his Ma'arif Mathnawi mentions a story of a certain uh, a pious person, uh, apparently pious person. So he said to himself that I will have complete tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, I will not buy anything to eat or drink. I will sit underneath the shade of this tree making muraqaba and dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala day and night and I will wait for food to come down from the skies. So then a voice from the unseen said to him that, O oh servant of Allah, how dare you challenge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? La yus'alu amma yaf'alu wa hum yus'alun. Allah has all right to challenge his creation and take them to task and accountability, but we have no right to challenge the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is why uh, our mashayikh say that when it comes to tawakkul and adopting means, there are three levels of tawakkul. There are three levels of adopting means. Number one, uh, there are some means that are yaqini. That means the effect of these means are certain and without adopting these means then most likely a person will not see the results. Because the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such that he has attached the results with, with these means. So the example of this that is given by our mashayikh is uh, eating and drinking. So Eating and drinking are from the, uh, uh, the, the, the definite means without which a person cannot stay alive. So the ruling regarding adopting such means is that it is wajib and fard upon every servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to adopt such means. So it is not permissible for a person to starve himself 
and have tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thereby not adopting uh, the, uh, these type uh, or this type of means. So the mashayikh say that if a person starves himself in this manner and he does not eat and drink and he passes away, then he would have committed the, the, the major sin of suicide. And Allah says in the Quran, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ بِكُمْ رَحِيمًا Do not kill yourselves because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful upon you. When Allah is merciful upon you, تَخَلَّقُوا بِأَخْلَاقِ اللَّهِ Inculcate the, the quality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within yourself and have mercy upon yourself also. وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that do not contribute to your own destruction with your own hands. In Urdu they say, uh, uh, do not uh, hit your own feet with an axe. Uh, I forget how the Urdu saying goes, but uh, So, means do not contribute to your own destruction. And there are many explanations to this ayah, but from this ayah we also learn that suicide is not permissible in Islam. And suicide is a major sin in Islam. And it's such a major sin that there is a minority opinion amongst the fuqaha which is not uh, the practiced upon opinion uh, amongst the four a'imma. And this is not ma'amul bihi, but this is a minority opini opinion amongst some of the fuqaha that if someone commits suicide then they die as a murtad it's, it's kufr to commit suicide and according to some fuqaha which is not the practice upon opinion it's not permissible to pray salatul janaza upon such a person so as believers a person should never even contemplate suicide the most a person can do uh, we learn from the hadith Rasulullah said, لا يتمنى ين أحدكم الموت لضر أصابه فإن كان لا بد فاعلا فليقل اللهم أحيني ما علمت الحياة خيرا لي وتوفني إذا علمت الوفاة خيرا لي. That Rasulullah said that none of you should ever desire death due to some difficulty that they are experiencing in their life. If it reaches a point where he needs to make dua for death, then he should make the following dua. Allahumma ahyini ma alimta al-hayata khayran ni, wa tawaffani idha alimta al-wafata khayran ni. Oh Allah, keep me alive so long as you know that uh, being alive is good for me. And take away my life when you, f when you feel and when you, and when you know that dying is better for me. So if a person keeps this hadith in mind, then uh, if, when he comes across stories uh, from some of the Salaf and ulama of the past who actually uh, uh, made dua for death to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they will understand the reason behind it. So if a person had, has to study the, the biography of Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, then he will see that Imam Bukhari rahimahullah uh, actually made dua for death towards the end of his life. And he did this to protect his deen and to protect the deen of others. So it so happened that 
Imam Bukhari rahimahullah was from Bukhara, but he was forced to leave his own city because of all of the difficulties he was experiencing in the city due to the amount of hasad and jealousy that the people had for him. So he couldn't live in Bukhara. So he went to Samarkand. He was not able to live there also because of the amount of hasidin that he had. So then he migrated to another city and eventually he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, take away my life because I do not want to be a means of hasad and other people going into the fire of Jahannam. So Allah, take away my life. And that's how he died. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted his dua. So this, uh, uh, so this dua that he made for death doesn't go against the prohibition that Rasulullah mentioned in the hadith that I mentioned. Yeah. I actually forgot what I was talking about. Oh yes, okay. So, uh, yeah, so there, are, there are three types of asbab. So the first asbab is asbab yaqiniyyah. So, uh, so adopting these means is wajib. <coughs> and not adopting these means would be haram. The second type of means are asbab dhaniya. That means they are probable means. That means the effect of these means are not certain. It's possible that they uh, uh, can bring about the results. It's possible that they cannot bring about the results. So examples of such asbab are, for example, working to, uh, to, to, uh, to take care of the family and to take care of one's needs, and taking medicine. So these are probable means because it's possible that a person is sick and he does not take any medicine and Allah gives him shifa and he stays alive. There's actually a, a, an Arabic poem regarding this, but it's not coming to my mind, but it's very beautiful. The meaning of which is, uh, there, are many, uh, there are many sick people who actually stay alive more than healthy people. That means you see many people who are walking around very healthy, they have no sickness or anything, and all of a sudden they just pass away. And you have some people that have been sick for many years, without taking medication, but they're still alive. And there are many people in our community and other communities you'll find when they went to the doctor, the doctor told them that if you don't take this medicine, you'll die. Or if you don't do this, then you'll die within a, a year or something, but they're still alive for, for 10 years or for 15 years. There are many people who don't take any medication, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them shifa. Yeah? There are many individuals in this ummah who do not work, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of their needs. So, so that is why these type of means are asbab dhaniya, and the ruling regarding adopting such means is that if a person has a very high level of yaqeen and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is permissible for him to discard these means. It is not sinful for such a person to not adopt uh, uh, these type of means. But for a person who has weak yaqeen and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
like myself, it would not be permissible for me to not adopt this means because this would lead to me uh, not having complete rida and contentment and pleasure over the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I fall into difficulty and I will start complaining and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like a complaining servant. So if we understand this, then we will understand why Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu spent all of his wealth in the path of Allah uh, in the Ghazwa of Tabuk. So we all know this story, this is very famous. Uh, uh, Uthman anhu gave one third of his wealth, Umar anhu gave half of his wealth, and Abu Bakr anhu gave all of his wealth. And it was after this day that Umar anhu said that I have, uh, com- I have been competing with Abu Bakr anhu in acts of uh, piety and good, but today I have uh, acknowledged my defeat. I can never surpass him in piety. So this is a very famous story that we hear, right? Uh, so uh, there's an ayah in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibits a person from spending all of his wealth uh, in, in sadaqah. وَلَا تَجْعَلْ يَدَكَ مَغْلُولَةً إِلَىٰ عُنُقِكَ وَلَا تَبْسُطُهَا كُلَّ الْبَسْطِ فَتَقْعُدَ مَلُومًا مَحْسُورًا So the literal translation of this ayah is, do not uh, keep your hands tied to your neck. So this is kinayatun uh, anil bukhl. That means do not be a miser, do not be stingy. وَلَا تَبْسُطْهَا كُلَّ الْبَسْطِ And do not spread your hands completely. This is kinayatun anil judi wa sakha. So uh, this is referring to do not be too generous. That means do not give everything that you're not left with anything in your hands. فَتَقْعُدَ مَلُومًا مَحْسُورًا Otherwise, you will be blamed mahsura and you will regret afterwards. So if you're a miser, then people will make fun of you and people will speak bad of you. Now, there's a hadith of Rasulullah where he says, الْبَخِيلُ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ بَعِيدٌ مِّنَ النَّارِ الْبَخِيلُ بَعِيدٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ بَعِيدٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ بَعِيدٌ مِّنَ الْجَنَّةِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ النَّارِ وَالسَّخِيُّ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ الْجَنَّةِ بَعِيدٌ مِّنَ النَّارِ So Sallallahu said, a stingy person is far from Allah, is far from people, is far from Jannah and close to Jahannam. And a generous person is close to Allah, close to people, close to Jannah, far from Jahannam. And if a person, he gives everything in sadaqah, then mahsura. So then uh, when he needs something and he doesn't have the money to buy it, but when he faces difficulty, he will regret why he spent all of his money and all of his wealth in the path of Allah. So this will lead him to complain, and then he will not be happy with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is why it is not permissible to give everything in sadaqah. So if someone 
objects and says that, uh, well, Abu Bakr, he gave everything in the battle of Tabuk. So what would the answer be? The answer would be that the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited us from giving everything in sadaqah is because if we give everything in sadaqah, we will eventually regret it. Because our level of tawakkul and yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not of that level that if we do not possess anything after giving it in sadaqah and we face difficulty that we will be content and happy with the decree of Allah. This is the condition of the general public. But Abu Bakr anhu's yaqeen and tawakkul was of such a high level that even after giving all of his wealth in sadaqah, he was more content than when he had the wealth. That is why when Rasulullah asked him that what did you give? He said, I gave everything. And then Rasulullah asked him, what did you leave for your family? He said, I left Allah and Rasul And his family was also like that. So his wife and his children didn't mind him giving everything in sadaqah. So that's why it was permissible for him. Like it was permissible for Ibrahim salam to leave Hajarah and his son Ismail all alone in the barren land of Makkah without any provision, without any food, without any water. I mean, if someone says that, how is this even permissible for someone to do this logically? I mean, even from an Islamic perspective, it's not permissible to just leave your family without any provision. You have to provide for them. So it was permissible for Ibrahim salam because his wife and children were also content and their level of yaqeen and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was like Ibrahim salam. They didn't mind. So that is why when Ibrahim salam left his wife in Ismail, when he was leaving, Hajara said that, why are you just leaving us like this? And then she said that, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala command you to do, to do this? He said, yes. So then she said, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not let us go to waste. Allah will take care of us. So the same is applicable to Abu Bakr anhu and his family. So, so, this, so this is the rule regarding asbab al-dhaniya. So it's also necessary to adopt, adopt these types of means also. And the third type of means, <coughs> sorry, the third type of means are al-asbabul wahmiyah, imaginary means. So, imaginary means has no basis in Sharia. It's actually not permissible to even adopt these means. So, al-asbabul wahmiyah would be superstition, basically. Like, for example, if a person he woke up in the morning and the first thing he saw was a, a black cat. So now he says that I'm not going to go to work because uh, I may get fired or something like that. So I'm not going to adopt the means of going to work because uh, this is bad luck. So adopting imaginary, imaginary means is not permissible. So bad, bad superstition is not permissible in Islam, but the opposite is permissible. Good superstition is permissible in Islam. For example, uh, uh, you're, some, uh, you're having a bad day 
and you meet someone in the masjid and you ask, you ask him, what is your name? So he says, Hassan. So Hassan means beautiful, good. So from this you deduce that inshallah my entire day will be good. This is permissible. Or you meet someone and his name is Sahal. Sahal means easy and from this you deduce that inshallah my entire day will be very easy today. Allah will make all of my affairs easy today. This is permissible. And names have effect. That's why Rasulullah said that when you have a child, give him a good name. This is one of the rights of children upon their parents. So we, we have to give good names to our children. Saeed ibn al-Musayyib rahimahullah, names have effect on the personality of a person also. So Saeed ibn al-Musayyib rahimahullah, who was uh, uh, given the title of Sayyidu Tabi'in, Rahimahullah, he said regarding himself that uh, I did not see the back of a Musalli for 40 years in the Masjid Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was known as Hamamatul Masjid Nabawi, the pigeon of the Masjid Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, I think everyone understood what this means, right? So he said, I didn't see the back of a musalli for 40 years in the Masjid Nabawi. What that means is for 40 years, he performed all of his salah with jama'ah behind the imam with, takbir, with a takbiratul ula for 40 years. He used to always be in the masjid. So that's why he was known as the pigeon of the Masjid Nabawi sallallahu alayhi wa But after he said this, the following salah, he missed one raka'ah and he was in the last saf. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, taught him a lesson that uh, it's not good to praise yourself. Yeah? So uh, Sa'id ibn was a great muhaddith also and his grandfather's name was Hazan. So he used to say that our entire family suffered from depression because of the name of our grandfather. Because Hazan means sadness in Arabic. Hazina yahzanu, Hazan means sadness. So he said, I observed sadness and depression in our entire family because of our grandfather's name. Um, so he made sure that when he had a grandson, he named him Sahal. Sahal means easy. Okay, so, uh, so the first lesson is that uh, it's permissible to adopt means and it's from the Sunnah of Sallallahu to adopt means and to plan. Uh, the, the other lesson that we learn from the, uh, from the Hijrah of Sallallahu is the importance of good company. So Rasulullah Sallallahu sought the companionship of, 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 of Abu Bakr radiallahu and if Rasulullah wanted, he could have just make hijrah alone. That, that, someone, someone could say that, that that would probably be more safe for Rasulullah to, to actually make hijrah alone. And then, so Rasulullah he was seeking companionship, and that is why he sought assistance from reliable people, from people that he relied upon, and from skilled uh, individuals, people who had some skill and who could help him migrate to Medina safely. So that's why he took help from Abdullah bin Urayqid, the, 
the famous guide, and he also took help from Amir bin Fuhaira radiallahu anhu. Amir bin Fuhaira anhu was a simple shepherd. He used to come and uh, give meat and milk to Rasulullah and Abu Bakr anhu in the cave of Thor, the Ghar Thor. And he used to erase the footprints of Rasulullah and Abu Bakr so that the mushrikeen who were searching for Rasulullah cannot notice that these are the footprints of Rasulullah and they cannot cap- capture him. <laughs> so Rasulullah he went to Abu Bakr's house and he knocked at his door and he said, As-Suhba, As-Suhba. And in reply, Abu Bakr said, As-Suhba, As-Suhba. So when Rasulullah said, As-Suhba, As-Suhba, he meant, I want your companionship. I want you to come with me uh, to Medina. So immediately Abu Bakr said, As-Suhba, As-Suhba. I'm also seeking your companionship without any hesitance. So from all of the Sahaba, Rasulullah chose Abu Bakr And from this, the virtue of Abu Bakr over all of the Sahaba becomes apparent. Abu Bakr was the only Sahabi who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly referred to as a companion of Rasulullah in the Quran. The only Sahabi. Explicitly. إِلَّا تَنْصُرُوهُ فَقَدْ نَصَرَهُ اللَّهُ إِذْ أَخْرَجَهُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا ثَانِيَ اثْنَيْنِ إِذْ هُمَا فِي الْغَارِ إِذْ يَقُولُ لِصَاحِبِهِ إِذْ يَقُولُ لِصَاحِبِهِ لَا تَحْزَنْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَنَا When he said to his companion, Do not be sad, Allah is with us. So when did Rasulullah say this? When the, when the mushrikeen were at the foot of the cave of Thor, all they had to do was just look down and they would uh, uh, spot Rasulullah and Abu Bakr So when Abu Bakr saw their feet, natural fear entered his heart, which is not against yaqeen and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he was a human. Even the Anbiya salam, were human, so they also had natural fear. Which is not against uh, strong iman and yaqeen. So he had that natural fear that entered his heart. So immediately Rasulullah consoled him and said, La tahzan inna Allah ma'ana. Ma dhannuka bi ithnayn Allahu thalithuhuma. Do you think that we are the only two individuals here? Allah is the third amongst us. Allah is with us, don't worry. So immediately Abu Bakr had inshirah al sadr. Immediately the fear that he had went away. <laughs> so from this we learn the importance of good company. The best friend of Rasulullah was Abu Bakr radiallahu He chose Abu Bakr as his best friend. And he was indeed a good friend. So that is why it is important that we keep good company. The people that we surround ourselves with will have an effect on how we think and how we behave. So a person is known by the company he keeps. If he keeps good company, it will have positive effect. If he keeps bad company, it will have negative effect. So a person is known uh, by the company that he keeps. 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Al-mar'u ala deeni khalilihi falyanzur man yukhalil A person follows the way of his, of his friends, of his close friends So be very careful who you, befri- who you befriend Befriend a person who has the fear of Allah Who has knowledge of deen Who is aqil and intelligent So this is the advice of Imam Ghazali rahimahullah he says that when you're befriending someone, this is also a condition. You have to befriend an aqil, a person who's intelligent. Do not befriend an ahmaq, a foolish person. Because although a foolish person might be sincere, but because of his hamaqa and foolishness, he will cause you harm unknowingly. So save yourself from, uh, from, uh, from such harm. So, and Rasulullah also in one hadith he was asked by one Sahabi whose company should I sit in or who should I befriend Rasulullah said when you see him he reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his speech increases your knowledge of deen and his actions remind you of the akhirah. Man dhakkarakumullaha ru'yatuhu wa zada fi ilmikum mantiquhu wa zada fi amalikum wa zada fi akhiratikum wa dhakkara wa dhakkara amaluhu al-akhirah. So when you see him, he reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his speech increases your knowledge and his actions reminds you of the, of the akhirah. These are people that a person should befriend. So this is also one of the lessons that we learned from the Hijab Wasallam. The other lesson we learned is that Abu Bakr the Anhu, uh, without any hesitance, willingly was ready to accompany Rasulullah in the migration. Immediately at that very moment, he didn't make any excuses that I have to get ready, I have to take a shower, or I'm not ready now, I have to tell my wife, nothing. Immediately he went with Rasulullah From this we learn that a person should be ready for any khidmah and service of deen. This is the quality of a believer. And this is also the quality of, an, of the angels. So when the, you know, this, is, this is also something very important to understand. Uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the angels إِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةِ I will make someone a khalifa on the earth referring to a, uh, referring to a human being so they said قَالُوا أَتَجَعَلُوا فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءِ Why would you make uh, such a makhluq the khalifa on the earth who causes corruption and sheds blood referring to a human being وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ Whereas we make your tasbih and tahmeed, we glorify you, we, we, we praise you. So if you want to make anyone the khalif, this is the apparent uh, uh, meaning of the ayah that we might get when we read the Quran or when we read the translation. It seems like, na'udhu billah, they are objecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or it seems like they are being arrogant. So, if, if you just hear the literal translation, so I gave you the literal translation of the ayah. Why or are you making someone a khalifa on the earth 
who will cause corruption and shed blood, whereas we make tasbih and tahmid of you. So we have to understand that that's why it's important to know the tone of speech. So that's why, you know, they say that the best method of communicating with the person is to talk to him directly instead of like through text messages and emails because you don't know the tone of speech. So sometimes the person, you might be complimenting him or just making a general comment, but he actually thinks you're making fun of him or saying something bad about him. So we have to understand the tone of speech of the malaika. Then we'll understand that they're not objecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're also not being arrogant. They're actually presenting themselves to establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the earth. This is what we learn from this ayah. What they're saying is that, Oh Allah, if you want to make anyone the Khalifa on, uh, on the earth who is responsible for establishing your deen, then we are ready. Because we make your tasbih and tahmid. We, have, we are your obedient servants. We are ready to do this for you. So this is exactly the sifa and quality that was found in Abu Bakr radiallahu so, and so he didn't have any hesitance when he came to making khidmah of deen. Also, he didn't have any hesitance in believing and having uh, strong and 100% yaqeen in the, in the sayings of Rasulullah That is why he was given the title of As-Siddiq. So As-Siddiq means the one who affirms the, the truthfulness of Rasulullah the most is Ismul Mubalagha, is a superlative noun. As-Siddiq. In, in, uh, Rasulullah ki sabse ziyada tasdiq karne wala. The one who believed in Rasulullah the most because when Abu Jahal came and told Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, that your friend Muhammad وسلم, is saying that in one night he went from uh, uh, Mecca to, uh, to, uh, to Baytul Maqdis and from there in one night he went all the way to Sidratul Muntaha and he met Allah all, this all happened in one night so he was saying, that he was making fun of Rasulullah so he was saying this uh, as a joke, he was being sarcastic but Abu Bakr Anhu's reply was not sarcastic at all. He said that if my friend Muhammad is saying this, then I believe him. He didn't need confirmation from Rasulullah He didn't need to hear this from Rasulullah There were many Muslims who actually left the fold of Islam and became murtad after the incident of Mi'raj. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَ الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّجَرَةَ الْمَنْعُونَةَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ Allah says, in the, Allah says in the Quran, we did not make the dream, over here the dream, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making a literal translation, but, uh, so we did not make the vision, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا رُؤْيَ I forgot how the ayah goes, but uh, I'll give the mafum of the ayah. So we did not make the vision or the incident of Mi'raj, Nothing but a fitna, a trial for people. What Allah SWT is referring to over here is that after this incident, some Muslims became murtad because they couldn't fathom the fact that Rasulullah 
went to the seven skies in one night. It's not possible. And unfortunately, in Karul Mu'jizat, denying the miracles of Sallallahu is a new fitna. So, uh, amongst Muslims, even there, uh, there, uh, there is a group who does not believe in the miracles of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, we have to understand that what is iman? Iman is iman bil ghaib. This is what iman is. Iman is to have belief in the unseen. Iman is to have belief in abnormal things that are not humanly possible. And, this, and these mu'ajizat are actually a dalil and evidence of the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the nubuwa and the prophethood of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa That's why they are ab- abnormal. Because it is not in the disposal of normal human beings to do miracles like this. And miracles are manifested at the hands of the Prophet, prophets السلام, by the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They cannot come up with any miracle on their own. And there's a Quranic ayah for this also, which is not coming to my mind at the moment. So, Abu Bakr anhu, without any hesitance, believed in the Isra and Mi'raj of Rasulullah although he heard it from one of the strongest enemies of Rasulullah okay, the other benefit and the other lesson that we learned from the Hijrah of Rasulullah is the love that Abu Bakr had and the adab that he had for Rasulullah so he made sure that Rasulullah felt comfortable throughout the entire uh, journey of the Hijrah. So he cleaned the cave of Thor before Rasulullah went there. He would walk in front and behind of Rasulullah to protect him. And he made sure that Rasulullah had enough sleep and he felt comfortable. So he went out of his way and went through hardship to make sure that Rasulullah felt comfortable. And if we, we have to study the whole incident and the whole uh, uh, how, uh, how he made khidmah of Rasulullah and the amount of adab that he had for Rasulullah is amazing and mind boggling. So that is why uh, Urwa bin Mas'ud al Thaqafi, prior to accepting Islam, when he was sent uh, uh, as, a, as an ambassador to go, uh, go and see the ahwal of the Sahaba, so uh, the, 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 the experience that he, that he mentioned is very mind-boggling regarding the adab and the mahabba that the Sahaba had for Rasulullah So he said, I, I've seen the followers of Kisra and Qaisar and other kings but have not seen any followers that have so much love and other for their leader than the followers of Rasulullah Whenever he is making wudu, the drops of wudu do not even touch the ground. The Sahaba are waiting to collect the, the leftover water of They immediately start rubbing their face with it. And they, uh, and they regard everything of Rasulullah to be a source of barakah. 
so, so even a non-Muslim at that time, he wasn't a Muslim at that time, he accepted Islam later on, even a non-Muslim at that time was uh, baffled at the level of adab and mahabba that the Sahaba had for Rasulullah the other uh, lesson that we learned from the Hijrah of Sallallahu is that uh, Abu Bakr Anhu involved his family also in the service and khidmah of Sallallahu in his deen. So his son Abdullah bin, Ab- uh, bin Abu Bakr Anhu uh, was acting as the spy for Rasulullah Sallallahu So he would keep a uh, track of the enemies uh, uh, and he was keeping track of their movement. So he would go and inform Sallallahu and Abu Bakr so that they can run away or they can hide and they can save themselves from being captured. And he will also go back to Mecca and come back and he would also update them regarding the recent plans of the mushrikeen. And his daughter Asma bint Abi Bakr anha she used to bring food for Rasulullah and Abu Bakr in the, in, the, in the cave of Thor. And she would come so carefully, she would hide and come so that the mushikeen do not see her. So from this we learn that it is important that we engage our family in the khidmah and in the service of deen also, like Abu Bakr radiallahu And the other lesson that we learn from the Hijr of Rasulullah is that Abdullah bin Abu Bakr anhu was a youngster. And from this we learn the important role of the youth in the khidmah and the service of deen. So if we study the history of Islam, the first initial believers of Islam who were the du'at of Islam and they did sacrifice to spread Islam were all young. They were all young. Rasulullah was only 40 years old when he got prophethood. Abu Bakr was only three years younger than him. Umar was younger than both of them. And Ali was the youngest amongst all of them. And Uthman was younger than Rasulullah as well as the Akabir Sahaba, the senior Sahaba, all of them, they were younger than Rasulullah. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Bilal radiallahu anhu, Sa'id ibn Zayd, Ammar bin Yasir anhum, they were all young. And it was at their hands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spread Islam. And it is through their sacrifice that Islam reached us. And from the role of Asma bint Abi Bakr, the daughter of Sallallahu we learn the important role of women in the service and advancement of deen. So when the fikr and the concern of deen comes into a woman, then she is ready to bear all difficulties and she will actually convince her husband and all of the men in her house to participate in the khidmah and in the service of deen. And the, 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 the role of woman in uh, in, in, in spreading the deen and in the khidmah of deen is, is subhanallah is, is, is very important and it was very important in the time of Rasulullah because the sahabiyat were responsible for the upbringing 
of the children of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een. They taught them the morals and the manners of Islam. They instilled within them the love of Allah and Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, due to which their children become, became the best of generations. Rasulullah said, The best generation was my generation. So, So, the virtue of all of this goes back to the mothers of the Sahaba. <coughs> and another important lesson we learned from the Hijrah is that the very first action that Rasulullah did when he went to Medina was what? He built a masjid. He built a masjid, Masjid Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. From this we learn the important role of a masjid in Islam. The masjid is not only a place of ibadah, tilawa, dhikr, is not only a place of ta'aleem and ta'allum, it is actually a place wherein Muslims manifest their unity. Because when we pray salah with jama'ah, and the Salatul Jumu'ah, the Salatul Eidain, is a strong proof of the unity amongst Muslims. So the Masjid helps in unifying the Muslim community. Regardless of ethnic background, we all stand shoulder to shoulder, rubbing, uh, rubbing our shoulders, showing that we have unity and we have no problem standing together. And during the time of Rasulullah what were the a'mal of the masjid? They were ta'aleem and ta'allum, learning and teaching, dhikr, ibadah, tilawatul Qur'an, and khidmah. They, uh, this, uh, in, in the masjid, the, the Muslims were serving one another, making khidmah of one another. They were helping out one another. It was also a place where prisoners would be brought and after staying in the masjid and being in the environment of the masjid and seeing the akhlaq and the beautiful character and the, and the beautiful lifestyle of Muslims within three days, they would, they would accept Islam. That is how Thumama bin Uthar accepted Islam. He was brought as a prisoner and he stayed three days in the masjid, Nabawi. After he was released, he became a Muslim just by seeing the lifestyle of the Muslims in the masjid. And his statement uh, that he gave after leaving the masjid is very profound. So he said, Wallahi, before accepting Islam, this religion was the most hated religion to me. And before accepting Islam, Rasulullah was the most hated individual in my eyes. And he said, the Muslims were the most hated individuals in my eyes. But after accepting Islam, Islam is the most beloved religion in my eyes, and Rasulullah and the Muslims and Sahaba are the most individual, are the most beloved individuals in my eyes. So this was the effect of just staying three days in the masjid. Nabawi And today, unfortunately, our character and mu'amala as Muslims is so bad that we Muslims ourselves, we would rather go to non-Muslims to get our work then, then go to a Muslim because we're scared he's gonna deceive us or like he's gonna cheat us or he's gonna say something to us. So unfortunately, 
uh, our akhlaq actually is, drives people away from Islam and is, drives people away from the deen. And the non-Muslims do, do not see our ibadah and our aqidah, they don't, none of that is visible to them. The only thing they see is our akhlaq and mu'amala. That is why our mashayikh say, the akhlaq and mu'amala of a person is the fruits of his iman. So if you have a tree, but there's no leaves and fruits, that tree doesn't look very nice. That, that tree doesn't have any value even. So if a person, so the, the fruits of the tree of iman is the akhlaq and mu'amala of a person. The more beautiful his akhlaq and mu'amala will be, the more fruitful his iman will be. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all good character, like the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and finally, there are many lessons that we can take, but the, the final lesson would be, why did the Sahaba migrate from Makkah to Medina? What was the reason? So their migration was solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had no ulterior motive, no ulterior motive whatsoever. So they migrated to Medina so that they can practice Islam and make ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala freely without any obstacle. And this was not possible in Makkah. That is why they were instructed to migrate to Medina. So they did not migrate to Medina for any ulterior motive. And this is the ultimate sacrifice. Because one of the hardest uh, experiences in a person's life is when? Is when? when he separates from his loved ones. Firaqul ahibba, to leave one's homeland. First of all, they left their homeland, the land that they grew up in. They left their family, they left their loved ones. Some of the Sahaba had to leave behind their wives and children because they were held back by the mushrikeen from migrating with their father and, uh, and husband. And Allah mentions this in the Quran, وَالْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْوِلْدَانِ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا مِنْ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ الظَّالِمِ أَهْلُهَا So one is leaving one's homeland. That itself is very hard for a person. You know, it's said that, you know, home is home even if it's a hut. A person will never forget the place where he was born and where he was raised. It doesn't matter how great he becomes in life. He might, uh, uh, like, leave the villages and the huts and the herds and live in a good area, but he will never forget that the house or the apartment or the place that he grew up in. He will always go back and visit it. And when he goes back and visits his homeland, just naturally tears will start to flow from his eyes because he starts remembering all his the, the childhood memories and it just naturally starts coming back to him. That's why when Rasulullah despite being uh, just uh, before I explain this, uh, this uh, a thought came to my mind. There's a famous statement that is unfortunately quoted as a, as a hadith, but it's not a hadith. It's, Love for one's homeland is part of Iman. So this is not a hadith, so we shouldn't quote it as a hadith. But, This is a statement, that means, it's natural for a person to have love for his own country, his homeland, his city, because Islam doesn't teach us biasness and, and, and to be prejudiced. 
we treat everyone equally, and in Islam, we, uh, there is no such thing as racism. Okay? So, yeah, you uh, so, so, iman uh, is not a statement of Sallallahu and it also in some way goes against the, the teachings of the Quran. Because Allah says, so we have to understand that the hijrah that the sahaba made was the actual hijrah and this was the hijrah due to which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named them muhajirun and this was the hijrah due to which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala announced his ridwan upon them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised them jannah and his maghfirah so the, because the sacrifice that they did is not very easy there was, because they left behind all of their possessions all of their amwal they had to leave behind in Mecca because the mushrikeen did not allow them to take any of their wealth with them so some of them had to leave behind their wives their children they left behind their, their homeland they left be, all of their wealth and they migrated only for the sake of deen this we have to remember so this, this type of sacrifice is very difficult. We all know that we migrated to America, either ourselves, our parents, or our grandparents. We migrated here for monetary reasons, to, to get a better living and to live more comfortably. And this is permissible. It's not haram. It's mubah. To migrate from one place to another place for a better living is permissible in Islam. And it's proven from, uh, from an ayah in Suratul Mulk. So Allah is the one who uh, has placed the earth uh, in, in your service. He has subjugated, subjugated the earth for you. Therefore walk on his roads. And eat from his sustenance. So from this ayah the ulama deduced that you can uh, migrate to any country in the world for a better living. But the mashaykh attach two conditions to it. One condition is that a person doesn't lose his iman and Islam after migrating to another country, especially Bilad al Kufr. So if a person is not able to protect his iman and Islam, then it would not be permissible for him to even li live in such country. So he has to ensure that he keeps the Islam of himself and the Islam of his family and children intact while living in, in these countries if he's, if he's going for a better living. And secondly, our intention should be that we came here as du'at ilallah and du'at ilal islam so although our initial intention was to get a better living but we should rectify and renew our intention every day that we are here as a da'i towards the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and da'wah can be done in many ways da'wah is not only done uh, with the tongue even da'wah is done through action and the more effective da'wah is, 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 is with our akhlaq so with non-Muslims, we have to show them the beautiful character of Rasulullah and we have to show them the beautiful teachings of Rasulullah
So in conclusion, I make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives us tawfiq to be proper representatives of the religion of Islam and Rasulullah and the Sahaba living in this country. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us hidayah, make us a means of hidayah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from misguidance and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also save us from being a means of misguidance and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also make us an actual mujahir, uh, muhajir as mentioned by Rasulullah in a hadith al-muhajiru man hajara ma nahallahu an the actual muhajir an immigrant is that person who has abandoned not that person who has abandoned his homeland and migrated to another country but that person who has abandoned everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forbid. So that's why our mashayikh say that we, we should make hijra, we should make hijra spiritually. There are different forms of hijra. So when you physical hijra, spiritual hijra, emotional hijra, we should make spiritual and emotional hijra. We should make hijra from from ma'asiyah to ta'a. We should migrate from disobedience to obedience. From bid'ah to sunnah. From corruption to rectification. From oppression, injustice to justice. From bad character to good character. From immorality to morality. From bestiality to being a proper human being. From being a disobedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to becoming a obedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives us tawfiq to make all of these types of migrations with ikhlas and istiqama may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept us may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to live with iman in Islam die with iman in Islam and be resurrected with iman in Islam wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen